there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people about what they do, why they do it, how they hang in there. This week, my guest is Christine Blackburn. This is a sort of a podcast crossover episode. Um, Christine hosts the podcast Storyworthy, and she invited me to be on her podcast, and then afterwards we did mine. So it was one of those little crossover episodes like when, you know... Charlie's Angels go to the love boat or whatever. She also hosts this really fun live show called Story Smash, which is a storytelling game show. She even has a wheel that you spin. Uh, and the next one is September 22nd here in Los Angeles at the Improv. I wish I could go, but I have some friends getting married. Marriage equality ruins everything. But anyway, I will hopefully be at the next one. But um, before we get to Christine, I just want to share a little bit of news with you. Uh, as you know, my friend Jeb Havens and I designed a game together, You Don't Know My Life. We have finished phase one of our pre-order friends and family campaign, and we raised enough money to get the first half of the deposit for the games printed. So they're off to the printer. We raised it. Thank you all who, uh, all of you who, who pre-ordered um, for making that happen. It was thrilling to be able to reach that landmark. And you can still pre-order the game. We ordered way more games than we actually have pre-orders for because we know that um, it's going to be a sensation and people are going to want it. And um, so you can pre-order your game anytime um, at youdon'tknowmylifegame.com. And thanks again for everyone who supported so far. The games will be back here in time for the holidays, and we're going to save Christmas, and then we're going to save the world. All right, that's enough plugs for now. Uh, enjoy Christine Blackburn. I know I did. That sounded a little dirty. That sounded... <laughs> but she's delightful. It doesn't have to be dirty. Okay. Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Today, my creative person that I'm talking to is Christine Blackburn. Yay. And uh, we're in her place. We're actually using her equipment because I just did her show, yes. Storyworthy. Yes. So we're doing the cross-pollination. It's kind of like when um, Charlie's Angels went on the love boat, mm. right? Or like those people go on the other show. It's a yeah. crossover episode. The Partridge Family. Did they meet with the Brady Bunch? I feel like they lived in separate universes. Yeah, but actually that probably is true. But like Laverne and Shirley would visit Happy Days. Oh, for or sure. Whatever. I mean, that was actually how a lot of shows spun off. Yeah, exactly. Because of the wacky neighbor. But I was so... Part of Family Brady Bunch, that's right in my sweet spot. Yeah, me too. Oh my gosh. Those Friday nights. Friday nights. Thank Friday you. nights, thank you. Saturday night, Love Boat Fantasy Island. Yeah. Where Friday night was all about Brady Bunch, Partridge Family, then Room 222. Right, and Nanny and the Professor was in there. <laughs> and then Love American Style. Love American Style was at 10 o'clock on Saturday. But you couldn't watch it because it was too grown up. It was so risque. I know. They should bring that back. Yeah. I the love it. The wardrobe was awesome. Yeah. The hair, the song. I'm a big they fan were, of the song. And they were always like, that's right. And they were always up in that, their beautiful skyscraper apartment. I thought, oh man, those yeah. people are rich. They had. They knew how to live. They knew how to live. They lived and I'd loved. i still like to live like that. I know. <laughs> All right. You're also a performer. You've done stand-up shows. You have this cool game show that you started yeah. called, called uh, Story Smash. Yes. Uh, but a lot of it sprung out of your podcast, Storyworthy. Yeah. How absolutely. long have you been doing that? I started Storyworthy in July of 2010. Wow! When the first one aired, and we've done about um, I've done about five hundred, and by we I mean me. Yeah, no, I get it. I know how it <laughs> I've is. I've done about five hundred and twelve or five hundred and thirteen yeah. episodes, so over eight years, and I've been with a couple of different networks, and I've recorded, and over and over again, and uh, yeah, it's amazing. People have fantastic stories, as you know. 
What was your initial idea for it? Okay, so it was because of the moth. I was going to the moth a lot, which yeah. is a storytelling show here in Los Angeles. Began in 1997 in New York, and I would go to a lot of moths here in Los Angeles. So basically, people go on stage and tell a story for five minutes, and then they leave the stage. And I would go to the show, and if my name got picked, you know, I could perform, but they just pick ten names. And but I would listen to other people's story, and at the end of their stories, I would be like, and then what? Right, you and they're gone. Had follow up questions, and they're gone. Right. right now, I'm chasing them in the parking lot, and right. it's, it's uncomfortable. Right. So that happened, <laughs> and at the same time, Adam Carolla left Terrestrial Radio. Right. And he started his podcast. Then I started listening to Howard Stern, of course, on Sirius because right. he left Terrestrial Radio as well. And then Mark Marin started up, and those three guys were really people that I still admire and listen to all the time. And uh, I thought, wait a minute. They are doing something that's accessible to me. You know, these are on a consumer level now to do this sort of thing. Right. You don't need a fancy studio. No. And so I thought, wait a minute. I know a lot of smart people, including our mutual friend, Penelope Lombard. Yes, who connected us. Yes. And another girl at that time I was, well, I'm still friends with, but I was close with was Sharon Houston. And I had her on my very first show. Because I knew she had a story. Right. So like right off the top of my head. I know head, the name, but I can't place her. Right. She's a wonderful comedian. Right, right, right. I just knew like at least 10 people at my fingertips who I knew had good stories. Right. And so I thought instead of long form interview, like where are you from? What do you do? We will go right into your story. And often that tells a lot about a person. For sure. Not yeah. only what story they bring, but how they tell it, what they want to disclose and what they don't. How do you decide story-worthy was two words and not one and not hyphenated? It's always been two words, for sure. Yeah. yeah it's always been two words. Um, it makes my, me think a little of sponge-worthy and Sex in the City when they yeah, talk about Yeah, right? I know. Yeah. But well, that makes me smile. Yeah. And part of it was um, my girlfriend is a graphic designer, and we were fooling around with the letters and the way it looked on paper, and she's just so good at that. And so she uh, came up with a logo, and it just made sense. It just looked... Very like um, like an alliteration or something. Like, it looks great. I love the logo. Yes. I was going to ask you about that. I, yeah. I'm a fan. I love it too. It looks good. And also, it's you know tricky. Um, I didn't want to use my own picture because I'm not. First of all, the story's not about me, and also you know I'm not. It's not going to sell that way because people don't know who I am. It's not like Katie Couric who should have her photo on yeah. the podcast. For me, it didn't really work. So just. Letting it be, you know, sit as story worthy, hopefully says enough. Yeah. Have you ever cried when somebody was telling their story? Uh, have I ever cried? Yeah, I've gotten sad. Yeah. You know, it's just one I got sad about, and it seems an unlikely one. It was Phil Hendry uh, told a story one time about his mom. He's had, a radio personality. Yeah, a radio announcer. Famous. I'm going to sneeze. Brilliant. <coughs> That's all good. Yeah. yeah all right. He's a radio announcer, and just, um, anyway, brilliant guy. But he told a story about his mom that was, you know, sad. Uh, but what's, no, the most you what's the most oh, you laughed? Oh my gosh, I've laughed at so many. There's so many great storytellers. You know, Matt Oswalt always makes me laugh. I play tennis with him a lot. Um, yeah. He makes me laugh on the tennis court as well. Um, so many comedians. I love interviewing comedians. They understand brevity. They understand how to keep it short and to not use unnecessary words. So, uh, but to say who's I laughed at the most, I can't. You know, they're also everybody is so funny. Uh, recently, though, I interviewed a girl named Sasha Rothschild, who's a producer and a writer on Glow, and her story literally made me fa almost faint. Like, Why? I what had happens? to stop her story because I'm like in this chair I'm in now, and I'm slipping to the floor. 
My face is white. I'm like, can you get my water? It's in the silver cup. And she goes, and I'd open the window because her story was about being dragged under a train. Oh my God. And the way she tells it is just so phenomenal. And so the words she chooses, and she wasn't looking at paper either. She was right off top, right out of right. her mouth was coming these words. And it was so descriptive, I could barely sit up. Wow. <laughs> You're on the edge of your seat. Literally. She survived. She's She survived. She's sitting here with me. Yeah. yeah. She, amazing. It happened when she was like 20. Wow. I know. Dragged by a train. She was trying to catch the train. She was trying to jump on the train. Oh, man. Yep. Got squeezed between the doors. Boom. And, and then fell underneath. Yep. Oh. The train went over her. I know. I may faint just I know. hearing about I it. I know. Anyway, so go yeah. listen to that, you guys. It's in uh, July. Story worthy in July. And the very next week, Larry King was on the show. And a I legend. just adore Larry King. I got to go to his house in Beverly Hills. What's it like? And uh, it's lovely. It's just lovely. Um, the doors, um, the gate was like wide open. <laughs> I'm like, Larry, you got to lock the gate. Uh, his housekeeper greeted me at this gigantic door. So one of those doors that you go up to it and you realize that to knock would be futile. Yeah. It's, how's they going to even hear this? Well, because it's like a, um, yeah. it's a, you know, I don't know, 15 foot door, literally. Yeah. Uh, so you push the button and then the housekeeper let me in and I set up in one room, like the breakfast breakfast nook as it were, kind of like this size room, not a not a huge room. Right. But Larry was in watching CNN. And it's one For of those... For all time's sake. Yeah, one of those homes where you could like literally see like room and then a room beyond that and a room beyond that. So right. depth. depth. It keeps going. Keeps There's going. There's wings. And then till the pool on the back and then you see, you know. So what was the like, story about? He talked about, um, I talked about a couple of things. Baseball. He talked about Trump, how they were good friends for 40 years. They were friends. Wow. Yeah, talked about uh, New York, Trump, his kids. At one point, his boy came bounding down the stairs. You know, um, I'm out of here, Dad. Because Larry King has youngish kids. Well, 18, 20 yeah. now. Yeah. Teenagers. It's just really a very, very normal, very sweet. And he's just a delightful person. Where have you gone physically to do interviews? Have you ever ended up somewhere offbeat or what? You know, I go, I go, I stay either in my apartment. Or I've also, of course, recorded in many, many studios. I got to record with Mindy Rickles once out at uh, her father's compound in Malibu. Don Rickles' daughter. Yeah, Don, yeah, and that was another one of those huge homes. And it was so wonderful to think about, like, you know that Frank Sinatra was sitting there yes. and Sammy Davis Jr. and probably, you know... You know, all these people. Yeah. Iconic. And uh, very cool. So that's a lovely, like, that was a lovely location, obviously, to record. Yeah, and history and Don Rickles' aura. Yeah, but I, but I really record in a pretty, pretty traditional situation. Yeah. I mean, either in a studio or just face-to-face over, like over a table. Yeah. I, I don't, But I, I don't do, like, recording in a restaurant or yeah. recording over the telephone. Yeah. Because I feel like when it comes to podcasting, you really only have one good thing you need to do, and that is sound. Yeah. And if, and if I'm listening <laughs> to the show... I laugh because I'm a little... <laughs> well, I, I have yeah. listened to your show, and I yeah. found it okay, and I've okay. gotten through them, because because if the sound is poor, I'm out. Yeah. No, I'm it's out. a big deal. I I, there's only five senses we have anyway. I hear you. And now all it's I important. have is the one, so it has to be. It has to be good. What have you learned about people doing StoryWorthy? I think people are very good. You know, I think people think are generally good? very good, yeah. And I think um, people want to talk about themselves, you know. Yeah. Uh, which is nice, and I do too. You know, I think I've noticed that with the game, you know, the You Don't Know My Life game that I'm doing. Yeah. I think people like to 
talk about themselves people like in the right setting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that doesn't mean to say that they like to speak in public. No. But they like to be heard at the dinner table or, I mean, obviously. Yeah, they like to be seen and acknowledged. Acknowledged. Yeah. yeah. For what they've been through. I think so. How has it changed you doing it? Story worthy? Yeah. Oh, I've just learned so much because you really have to learn as you go. So every day you're learning a new, it depends on how much time you put into it. You know what I mean? Some people have a podcast just to have a basement podcast and some people have a podcast because they want to make money and whatever. So it depends on what you're doing. But for me, I took it so seriously and I still take it seriously. And I, um, you know, I want to do it. Like the way when I come on somebody's show, this is how I want to see it. When I go on their show, I want it to be organized. Don't waste my time. I want a certain... So I try to think about how I felt when I'm... How I feel when I'm a guest. Right. Because I'm not like a suit person. You know what I mean? I'm definitely talent on that side of things. But as the host of a show, I'm trying to facilitate the best performance I can get out of the person. And so... um, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, no, how, how, how it's changed you. Well, just I'm, just I'm just really good at editing. I'm good on You got good at all the stuff you media. had to get. I'm yeah. good at figuring out what's next. And I, I've also learned that I have ambition above and beyond the normal human being, which isn't always a good thing. Was that a surprise to you? Were you like, it's, wow, I am really stepping well, up. Well, I have tried in the past to settle, you know? Mm. A couple of times I've tried to settle, like, well, right. I'll just, if I marry that guy, that, that, that should be enough. I'll be out in Malibu. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. And that never works. It doesn't work. Mm-mm. So you just have to slog through it. But I have to say, <laughs> I didn't think it would take this long. I didn't. I didn't. Right. I always saw, I saw, I always saw myself as a very wealthy person, young. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I have been in wealthy places and dated wealthy men and, yeah. you know, been in those scenarios, but not from my own, you know, from what I've created. So that's really what I want to see. And you know what? Rich people, their stuff's just better. Yeah. Their stuff. Not necessarily their lives. Everything's easier. Their backpack is better. Yeah, I've, exactly. I've done a fair amount Silverware of... Silverware is nicer. The yeah. tablecloth is better. I've done a fair amount of travel writing. So I've gotten to stay in some pretty nice places and I write about it. And, you know, you, you don't necessarily get paid, but you get to kind Perks. of experience these cool things. Perks, yeah. And most of the times I'm like, you know what, this is nice, but I don't need it. Mm-hmm. I don't like, this isn't, I don't have a hole in my life because I'm not able to stay here all the time. And then there was this one resort, this five-star resort in Puerto Rico. Gosh, it was, it was um, part of the Ritz-Carlton brand. Oh, wow. And it was like on the beach and I was like, oh. This is the difference. This is the difference. Yeah. This is why Gwyneth, this is what Gwyneth's into. I get it. Well, it's very specific. Yeah. It's the finer sheets. It's nicer towels. Yes. It's better smells. It's less clutter. And it's just quality. Yes. From the moment you walk in and the way it's done and the design and yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. This is why you want to be really rich. There's a big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, But not at the sake of personal... Freedom and not, a, and to me, you know what yeah. I mean? A lot of people do settle and they go for that or they, you know, stay in their hometown if they, and they really want to leave, but they don't because of fear, because right. of, you know, that they're not going to make it on their own. And frankly, there's a good chance they won't. You know what I mean? Like I'm always hustling, always struggling to an extent. Do you know what I mean? Of course I have it better than some people, but not as good as I want it. Right. And LA is that tricky place to live because there's the wealth that you see this wealth out here. Right. It just seems so tangible. It seems so close. Right. 
but then you're in a certain apartment or you don't even have an apartment or you have a room. Yeah. So it's really, you see this. It's not at all homogenous like some of the suburbs in our country. Yeah, and it's not at all fair. It's mm -mm. super random. Mm -hmm. uh, when did you first move to Los Angeles? 97, August 17th, 1997. What propelled you out here? Well, I had just survived cancer. And sometimes when you get a serious illness, well, you know from your, your rehab days. My rehab days. <laughs> I told the story about when I went to rehab. But, yeah. uh, but no, but when something happens in your life that disrupts the normal course of how things are going, you know, you reassess things. Right. And if you get, can't, for me anyway, I was diagnosed with cancer. What kind of cancer? Very, ran, very, very, very rare. It was called a Wilms tumor in my kidney. Only wow. 27 people had it. 13 lived, or 13, yeah, lived and 14 died. And I, you know, lived. And it was very abrupt and traumatic and bizarre. Wow. Yeah. And I was 31 at the time. And this just shouldn't happen to a 31-year-old. And it did. And so after that... Um, you reevaluate a little bit. Right. And I was in the Peace Corps when it happened. And they wouldn't allow me to go back to the Peace Corps. I thought I could. After chemo and surgery, yeah. I thought I'd go back to the Peace Corps. But they wouldn't allow me until I'm five years cancer-free. Wow. And then I went back to this airline job I had had. And they wouldn't have me back. So I was at That's this devastating. Point. It was unbelievable. What are the rules? I to, so depressed. Is it a medical risk or what... You mean to go back to Tonga? Why, no, why wouldn't they let you come back? What did they say? You mean say? the airline? The airline or the... Well, Peace Tonga, Corps. there was no way I could go back to Tonga, my country, which is in the South Pacific, yeah. because you know, I had to get CAT scans for seven, yeah. eight years. I still get CAT scans, you know. Right. So, so you had to be somewhere. I had to be somewhere there's electricity. Right. In Tonga, they didn't have water. Right. They did not have running water in the, ho in the hospital. So, wow. Yeah. Like urine sample in the latrine. Like... You know, really yeah. remote. And so, it's probably different now, but at that time. And so then the airline, I went back and asked for my job back. Just to be reinstated where I'd been left off. Right. Like five months previous. And uh, they said, nope. They said, we will reevaluate the situation and you could start back over at the big, you know, the bottom of the seniority list. But airline is all built on seniority and yeah. you cannot go back. You cannot go back. There's no way. That must have been devastating because here you are, you survived this major thing. Yeah. And the places that you had been before are like, mm, we, we can't make it work now. Yeah. So, so that's you're... when you say, well, you know what? What do I really want to do? Yeah. Well, I'd like to be a funny girl outside of Pittsburgh. You know, I'd like right. to entertain and I'd like to be with my tribe. Right. You know, in Pittsburgh, I didn't... I mean, I'm sure, there, there, of course, there are fabulous people in Pittsburgh. My family's I mean, all there, the Flashdance people are in Pittsburgh. They're all there, right? They're, all the welders <laughs> are there. And so, you could find your tribe. But, you know, out here in L.A., it's just a much bigger haystack. And there's more people in that tribe. Right. And I love the normality of being creative out here. Right. People don't look at you funny no, if you your, have a Your dream. ambition. Yeah. yeah. They look at you like, oh, good for you. Yeah. So, and I think it's changing because of the internet, of course, and everything. So, you know, I'm sure it's more global now than it was when I came out here 20 years ago. But What was your first impression of L.A.? What do you remember about well, I've first always getting loved, here? I've always loved Los Angeles because I would come here all the time as a yeah. flight attendant and I yeah. dated guys here. And so I knew L.A. Uh, a little bit anyway. I mean, I knew Los Feliz, which is why I chose it. Yeah. It's funky and cool. Because I dated somebody that lived here. Yeah. And so... Um, I just, I just think that the weather just blew my mind that you could go to the beach anytime you want. I just couldn't believe that. And I went down to Venice and I would ride my bike on the boardwalk and I'd see all those people from every walk of life. 
and just freaking take it in, you know? Yeah. And I just thought, this is so where I need to be. And what did you start doing first? Stand-up comedy? Uh, no. When I got here, I had just gotten out of chemo like right. six weeks before, so I didn't have any hair. So I couldn't get any pictures taken. But yeah, I did stand-up comedy. I did a lot of stand-up. For about four years, I did it. A lot of stand-up, like every night. And I ran rooms all over the place, including the comedy store and uh, different clubs. And, but then my first like job job for money is I <laughs> I sold tours of the movie stars' homes. That's right. So they would actually go in the, in the homes or would no, they drive I sat, around? I sat in a booth in the back of the Man's Chinese Theater on right. Hollywood Boulevard yeah. in front of the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And I had a headset on. My bald head and my voice amplified down Hollywood Boulevard, which I really liked. Yeah. And I'd say, welcome to Los Angeles. Or I'd say, no, no, no. I'd say, welcome to Hollywood. Jump upon a Starline tour. We'll take you to Beverly Hills, Homeby Hills, Bel Air, and Rodeo Drive. We'll take you to see all your favorite movie stars' homes, living and dead. Well, mostly the dead. Mostly the dead. <laughs> and uh, it was, so it's really, it was funny, it was working again with tourists. Yeah. Which is what I did in, you know, as in the airline. So, yeah. Funny. You were making their Hollywood dreams come true. Oh, man. Just trying to fill up buses of people to take them out and about. And very few people even spoke English. And so then the yeah. drivers, it doesn't matter. You would just get on that bus and then they'd start going, yeah, blah, 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 Brad Pitt, blah, 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 you know, Pantages Theater. Right. <laughs> and you would just... Call out, nobody here. George Papard. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's okay, because it's just the idea of sometimes being in the open air and yeah. driving around Hollywood and being in our light. Yeah. You know, because the light is better here and the temperature is warm and they're coming from flipping Denmark and yeah. Finland and China and all over the place and they're all coming to Hollywood and Highland and that is where they go. Yeah. You know, they think Angelina Jolie is going to be hanging out down there. Getting a slice, you know, yeah. of pizza. She might be. She no, might be. Maybe she, not. You know, she could be. Or George Clooney could be at that yeah. LA Fitness. I don't know. Exactly. Well, was it a drag or was it all right to do that? Uh, no, 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 no. It was okay because I, like I said, I was bald. I didn't, I couldn't like be like yeah. in, in front as it were. I mean, you know, so my voice was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where did you first start doing stand-up? Like what was your home the stage left coffee house in Glendale, and then Cute. I started running it. Yeah, and then I started running it. Isn't it funny? You like to run, like you you will step up and like yeah yeah run and in like a minute, you have that producer vibe. I have a producer vibe because it is so hard to get on other people's shows sometimes, and if you produce your own show, then you get to be on stage. Right. So if you want to do it, then you just make it happen, or you could just sit back and hope somebody. Randomly calls you. Yeah, yeah, but it no. It just doesn't work that way. No, you got to take the bull by the horns. So you just do it. Right, so that's what I've always done. What do you love about comedians? That they're, their sense of brevity. They are very particular about their words, and they know how to trim the fat. There's very little BS. And they have that honesty quality that you were talking about with me earlier on Storyworthy, right. where, you know, it's a cynicism. Or a sarcasm, which a lot of people don't want because it can be cutting and not kind. Right. But I love words and I love the power of words. So it's very hard for anybody to be too cynical for me or too sarcastic. Yeah. It's right in your sweet spot. Yeah. You're into that. Yeah. Um, you were a flight attendant. What airline? For US Air. And then we became US Airways. Yeah. Was it glamorous? 
Uh, no, no, no. Ever? <laughs> Not ever? Sometimes, and you know, it would be really great. Like if you got 28 hours in San Francisco. Yeah. And you'd be sitting out on top of the Embarcadero roof or whatever and, and yeah. at the pool. Or you would be go down to Puerto Rico and right. I'd be down there in Old Town at the old guest house or whatever right. it's called. And, and you're hanging out on the beach and you're like... This is rocking, man. Like yeah. right now. Or you're in London for 37 hours. Or, you know, Frankfurt for 38 hours. And so it depends. But then you could be in Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas right. for 27 hours. Or you could be in Buffalo or Syracuse or Winchester or you name the shit town in New York. And I've been there. Right. There are just so many Places in New York that we flew, Schenectady, Troy, Albany, all these tiny little places. And now you're there for 18 hours. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. There was no uh, no cell phones. Right. You know, I was flying from 89 to 97, so this is a different era. Yeah, different time. Um, were you single at the time? Um, I was single some of it, and I was married some of it. And my first husband, I was flying. I'd only been flying for about a year and a half, a short time. And I remember I couldn't get a hold of him on Thanksgiving. And, and I was flying because I always flew holidays, of course, you know. Right. And I couldn't get a hold of him on the phone. And he's not answering. And um, his voice message is picking up voice, you know, back then it was a voicemail thing or whatever, the machine. And uh, it turned out he had been seeing another woman. And, you know, and I, it was so typical. And he was a musician. And I'm on the road as the flight attendant. And he's back with this girl who was like a groupie. You know, and he got her pregnant. Oh, boy. And that ended that marriage. Wow. But you have a daughter from That's, that from no, 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 different, second, different, different time. My daughter's only 11. But you found out? That happened out, when I was like 25. But you found out when you were on the road. Uh, no, I didn't find oh, out that. No, okay. no, no. I found out um, in person. I found out. Uh, I found a letter that I found a card that she sent him. Yeah. It was in the, like the floor of his van. And I picked up a Christmas card and inside was the, was the, the words. Unbelievable. Oh, do yeah, you remember what it says? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. I remember it, like, you know, it was, um, it had a dove on the front that said, Peace on Earth. And then inside, I forget oh, what the... That old trick. I forget the, what the scroll said. That old said. Peace on Earth trick. But then it said, uh, John, I'm so sorry for what you're going through right now, but soon we will be together, you, me, and our baby. Oh, shit. And then it was signed, Laura, L-A-R-A, and I didn't know if it was Laura, Lori, Laura, I couldn't put it together, I couldn't think who it was. And anyway, long story short. Was he short, sitting there in the van when you picked it no, up? No, he was in the gig playing. I was oh. out in the van with my friends looking for the pictures to our new house. We bought a new house. Oh. And it was like our Christmas card banner picture with the, well, you know, look at Santa brought us. Oh. And I was showing my friends and then we find that instead. And that was it. Well, that's when I knew, but I didn't, couldn't connect the girl till later that night I went home with a friend and I thought... I know who that is. And it was this girl who came to all his gigs. She was oh. always super tan, wore low-cut tank tops, requested that song Brandy over oh. <laughs> So you can't even hear that song without thinking of her. Wow. And then they had another child. So they had like two kids. How much longer did you stay with him? Uh, oh, that night. That was the last that night. That was it. Yeah, he moved out that, that, that night. Wow. Sad, man. Sad. The end of a five-year relationship. Yeah. yeah. Sad. And like, you know, anytime, as you know, you know, that there's a loss, isn't there? It, you know? Oh. A loss. So, 
when you go on a flight now, do you look at the flight attendants and you're like, I know what you're going I through. I can't even believe how easy they have it. Listen to me. Do you think they have it easy I know now? they have it easy. Are you kidding me? First of Compared all, Compared to what you had to do? Yeah. First of all, they have What's cell different? phones. They, yeah. can, they can contact anybody right. on their phone. Right. Second of all, I was... Are you kidding? Pillow, blanket, magazine, headset, hot towel, ice cream sandwich, hot towel again. I mean, we had like six services... On flight, we would do a hot breakfast from Pitt to Philly. That's a 35-minute flight, and we would throw out hot food. Choice. Wow. I mean, we had it was so different. But i got to tell you, there were so many funny things, Dennis. Like, I thought you were going to say, like, yeah, I know what it's like. I feel the solidarity. And you're no, like, they got it so easy. They do have it so easy. And there's no more cash on planes, right? Yeah. So everything's credit or debit. Yeah. i got to tell you, when I was a flight attendant, Especially if you were flying in the what, whatever yeah. it was the C position, that was the right. person that took care of the money. Yeah. Let's say you're flying for three or four days on a trip, yeah. and in those days you have flown on, you know, twelve, fifteen planes, yeah. and now you're coming back and you've got two thousand dollars worth right. of money. I mean, it was cash, and there was nothing saying that you couldn't say that you gave away those six seats because of a double seat assignment or that person's headset didn't work or their pillow was or they were complaining of their luggage or whatever and all i'm saying is that there's a guy down in marina del rey with a boat called headsets that's what i've heard that that i had heard that as well i was going to even ask you about that some a flight attendant told me that same story (laughs) of the headset guy with the boat with the headset so you would take a little he literally bought he stole so much money. People stole so much money. Yeah, how, how did you do? The minute they stopped it doing stealing? that. Yeah, right. Here's, let me tell you something. No, I'm not going to admit I stole money because that yeah. is, my father would have just killed me. But what we did steal a lot was alcohol. Right. You know, and you would even, you know, it even go up to the cockpit. The you little know. bottles. Yeah, you go up to the cockpit like 20 minutes before landing. Hey guys, uh, you know, when are we landing? All right. And then the, and then the cop, you know, and then the, um, pilot might say hey did you get the uh, captain morgan yeah yeah i got it all right yeah listen i'll take two you know two two heinekens okay i got it i got it you know and we would just everyone put their drink order in yeah you put your drink order when you land and go back to the hotel you know they they came in packs of um the alcohol the liquor it still does comes in little caddies of 25 each 25 and 25 okay and you just take a caddy yeah a caddy that's fine (laughs) and then you know just you have to I had a lot of fun though did you get harassed by men yeah, well, not harassed, but always, you know, hit on quite a bit. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was just, it wasn't during the Me Too time, I'll tell you that. It was part that. of the gig. Part of the gig, really, in a lot of ways. And I dated a couple of people that I met on the plane, so it's not like it was all bad. It wasn't a total loss. Do you have any scary flights? I had one really scary flight. I've had a couple of incidents, but one really scary one, which I talk about in my one-woman show. Yes. Uh, I want to hear about that. It's on my list. Yeah. Um, Tell me about Surviving the Ride. Surviving the Ride is my one-woman show, which talks about, uh, it's me. It's about 15 minutes long. I think it's funny and tight, and there's some great music cues and some funny pictures, and nobody's going to be bored, and nobody's going to look at their phone. And yeah. I can cut to the funny, trust me. And so I'm um, so excited that it's also good for kids like 13 and up. There's no language in it. Uh, there's no sexual situations. There's no boyfriends in it. It's yeah. really just my life um, in terms of surviving and getting past things and somehow still surviving. So, for instance, I'm the youngest of six. So am I. Oh. Interesting, yeah. No, you're not. Yeah, youngest Dennis, of six. Well, then you know right. that I could have set myself on fire and might not have gotten noticed, right. you know, as a child. And so that's so interesting. I had no idea. I love right. That. And, and you know what? 
that idea of not being noticed, especially by my father, was something that, that resonated in the last few years with the stuff that I was dealing with. Like, yep. oh, I connected a lot of dots I believe in a that. way. Yeah, I believe um, that. And I've, I've done that in my life as well. It, when you see that, you know, this is the way you grew up and it's not. And maybe that's why I do this in my adult life and maybe I don't need to do that anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. It's interesting when the things start to make sense. Yeah, and also when you think about your parents' age and how old you are now yeah. and the decisions they made and they do the best they could. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah. So anyway, um, and then it's about leaving Pittsburgh. You know, and with all my siblings, nobody ever left Pittsburgh. You just right. went to college and you got married and you have children. This is what you do. So it's kind of always being like the, the child, the black sheep of the family, as it were. So I became a flight attendant. And uh, after a seven-year career there, I uh, went to the P- decided to go. I to the want Peace to know about Corps. the Peace Corps. Yeah, and then and I went to the Peace Corps. I applied. It took over a year of you know I was going to say auditioning, but interviews and back and forth and being. <laughs> I nominated. love that you're auditioning for the Peace Corps. I know you have a tight you know five minutes set and I say a song, a ballad, and a tempo. Yeah. Um, so. What so, made you want to do that? Well, um, you know, and I talk about it in, in the in the show Surviving the Ride. Uh, part of it was I had a, an incident which was very scary, uh, but but also it was just like what was it leading to? Because when you the are flight a attendant, flight attendant, yeah, you, what you do on the first day is the same thing you do on the hundredth day, yeah, and the thousandth day, and the three thousandth flight, and you never stop doing the same thing, and you are not very important to the company because you're. The person who has a day more seniority, they're more important. So you could be the worst flight attendant in the world, and you're more important than somebody with one day less seniority. Yeah. So there's really not a lot of incentive to be in a good mood. Right. <laughs> there's not, I mean, I was a great flight attendant. I was I was very good at most. But you also felt like it didn't matter that much how great you were. No, it didn't matter. Yeah. No, I know it didn't matter because when I had to end up leaving the Peace Corps due to an illness, I tried to go back being a flight attendant and they wouldn't take me and I had been the, I had been the flight attendant of the month at one point out of 9,000 flight attendants that's an honor right but what see, happens when you're a flight attendant of the month you get a certificate and you get some first class upgrades there and you a go pin there was a pin did they tell you why just because you were awesome because you're awesome and you got a lot of letters certificates ah. of recognition Dennis so people passengers would write in and say Christine Black Christine was the best she's the best she did this and this and this you know all the time that's that's kind of an honor now I know you know I saved a lot of letters because they would give it to you and they had a folder and you'd you'd press like oh look at my folder of good letters yeah I still have that letter but but um, because it's hard, especially at that time, to write a letter, put it in an envelope, and a stamp, and then yes, you must involved. have stood out, or they wouldn't have gone right. to the trouble. Now people, I'm sure, write much more frequently, but or maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but 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 what was the question? Uh, why you um, went to the Peace Corps? Oh yeah. So and anyway, um, it was just just like I said, it was redundant to be a flight attendant at the time. It was Coke or Sprite, Coke or Sprite, chicken or beef, chicken or beef chicken yeah. or beef. It wasn't taken seriously until after 9-11, and then it became more of a safety-oriented job. Yeah. But when I was a flight attendant, it was definitely about our hair, our makeup, our earrings, navy pantyhose, padded beige bras. You know, it was it was your weight. You know, there were weigh-ins. Wow, there you, were weigh-ins. You weren't allowed to up your size in uniform unless you got pregnant. Like, wow. if you upped your size in uniform, like, like every year you got a certain amount of blouses or yeah. a certain a skirt or whatever, you would be called in, like, with, like, given it, like, a demerit. Like, like, what's going on here? Yeah, what's going on? 
Wow. I know. And that was in the late 80s and then through the 90s. You know, when flight attendants began, I'm sure you know, in the 50s and in the 60s, you know, they, they had to be nurses. They yeah. had to be single. They couldn't be married. They couldn't wear glasses. So we've come a long way. Right. And now at least it seems more um, reasonable with flight attendants not having to serve. You know how it is now. You know, there's, you can order the meal from your seat. Yeah. You know, it's, it's different. so different. Did you have gay friends that were flight attendants? Oh, everybody. I mean, all my buddies. And would you go party in and the And I cities? would party with them big time. And Love I, it. And I started doing international flights specifically because they allowed smoking on the flights. And not that I smoked. I never smoked cigarettes. But all my friends and all of these gay guys smoked. And so they would start doing international. So I started doing international because that's who I wanted to hang out with. That's where the fun was. It's all about where do you want to hang out. And so during the flight, especially after the first big service that we would do, yeah. you know, there's like a two-hour downtime. Yeah. And we'd go back in the galley and we'd pull the curtains shut. We'd take a meal cart that was now empty because the meals were out. Right. Meal cart. We'd turn it on its side. <laughs> we would put it on the floor. Put blankets on top and pillows. And like play cards or dice. So fun. Just having fun. With, I love that. Great times. I love it. Great times. This is a little dark, but do you remember when the AIDS crisis hit? And Absolutely. That... It was a big thing. It, yeah. well, it, was, it was already a big thing. Right. But as a flight attendant, you know, it, it was definitely, you know, I don't know now what the demographics are, or who's flying, or who cares anymore. But at that time, it was definitely like the guys are gay and the women are not. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was so divided. It was terrible right. in that respect. But I knew who was fun to fly with. Yeah. Damn right they were. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. If you get like a, a, a Vegas overnight, you know, like, what are you guys doing, man? All right, let's go. Meet in my room. Ten minutes. Be there. And you'd go to gay bars and stuff. We'd go everywhere, man. Yeah. It's a blast. I love that. I know. And then you ended up in Tonga. Right, then I stopped being a flight attendant just because, like I said, it was just sort of an empty thing and I um, just wanted to, you know, give back and get some more meaning out of things. What was it like? What would you do day to day? Island nation. You get up as soon as sun the sun rises because there's no electricity. Right. So there was You gotta make the most of the day. Yeah. Well, there was no, you know, the chickens start crowing. Yeah. And there's noise right away in a village. So it's like 5.45 in the morning. Everybody's waking up right away. And the village only had 67 people in it. A tiny island in the South Pacific. Tiny. What do they speak? Tongan. Tongan. Malolele, fefehake, fayako, anglisi. And what were you doing? It's a Polynesian language. So it's a la like a vowel consonant. Vowel yeah. consonant like that. What would you do? What were you helping well, I, to do? I teaching English. Teaching oh, English wow. is a second language. Yeah, I, I when I went to the Peace Corps originally to to interview, I, I listened to the what the recruiter was telling me, and I didn't have any skills to be in the Peace Corps. I didn't, you know, I wasn't in construction or small business management. Right. I didn't know computer science or animal husbandry or farming. And then she mentioned to me, you know, you speak English. Yes, I do. Yeah, so that's what you did. So that, and then I got certified to teach English as a second language. Then I started volunteering heavily because I went back to the recruiter with my certificate. I said, "Okay, I got my certificate, the ESL, which took me a couple of months." She goes, "Okay, go ahead out and volunteer now, get some experience, and come back in six months." I'm like, "Are you lying to me right now?" Yeah. And she's looking at me like. Oh, no. So you volunteered initially for the Peace Corps. Everybody volunteered. That's what it is, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you end up getting a small stipend, like yeah. $200 a month or something that you get at the end of your service, which is 27 months. 
What was the takeaway for you from that experience? Um, we're so lucky to live in America. Yeah, still, you, so every day, it never leaves you, that feeling. It really doesn't. And, you know, even though I don't have the biggest apartment or the nicest house, you know, the electricity is huge. And um, choices, right? You go to the grocery store, choices. It's just yeah. crazy. The cereal aisle yeah. alone. You know, um, just our opportunities. And our shoes. Yeah. And our clothes. And, like, this chair is amazing. Yeah. If you were in Tonga, you would not see that chair. No. Now, it could be different now, I'm, you know, but when I was there, you know, it's just, uh, and a lot of really happy people, you know. That's that's something also, I think when you travel, you realize you don't need money to be happy. You know what I mean? You see people with nothing. They don't even have shoes. And they're laughing. They're and smiling. They're together, they have joy. And they're, joy. Yeah, they got joy. And you think, like, isn't that interesting? So there's different, it's just an interesting takeaway when you travel sensibly. You know, not, not necessarily travel You're like in your 20s, really yeah? I was 30 at the time. Right. So uh, that was a weird age to go into the Peace Corps. Most folks are either right out of college or uh, retired and maybe in their late 60s or early 70s. Most people that are 30 have children and lives, right. careers. Yeah, I didn't. So, I mean, so I did. I did as a flight attendant, but it was just, but I remember being on that island and I would think like, I cannot believe the life I was leading, how fast it was going. You know what I mean? I'd look at calendars from back, back then, and I was yeah. in a different city almost every night. And not right. just from being a flight attendant, but from traveling on my own. I just it traveled extensively. It was right. a wonderful way to see the planet, anybody would tell you, as a flight attendant. You know, to travel, if you use the benefits. Yeah. So I just felt uh, I, would, I couldn't believe everything just went to a standstill. It was great. Great. It's what you needed at the time. Yeah, no makeup, no keys, no no bank account, no money, no nothing, no purse, no mirrors, no makeup, no no contact lenses, no, you know yeah. what I mean? Barely a comb. Do you still have friends from that refreshing. time? Oh, yeah, definitely on Facebook. Yeah. We're always uh, going back and forth on different occasions and sharing pictures. So funny. So funny. The pictures are amazing. That's wild. Was it what you thought it would be when you signed up? It was. It was. It was a, a lot worse in some ways. Right. You're like, I oh, so I joined the other one. But with the, the training was where I where I was doing the training was the extreme part. Then yeah. where I got um, when I got placed on the main island, it wasn't as extreme. Yeah. You know, there were cars there. There was electricity there and right. stores, and a, there was even a hotel and a bar. You know. Yeah. So th- it's just the outer islands that are very remote. Yeah, that's wild. It's what an adventure. Man. Yeah. What an adventure. Good adventure, thanks. All right, now you've spun off your story-worthy podcast into this fun show, Story Smash. Story Smash is so exciting. It's a storytelling game show, and folks spin a giant wheel. I saw the wheel and the thing. You know, I yeah. love anything game showy. I love a wheel. I love I a bell. I want to spin the big wheel on the, on the Price is Right. I want a buzzer and a bell. Yes, and, and I, I, want it, I don't want it to be a computer. I want it to be a I wheel know. that I can touch. Click, 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 click. Yes. So interesting you should say that. Where did you get your wheel made? Oh. Riverside Promo Wheels. And I did not have any money at the time to buy that wheel. So what did I do, Dennis Hensley? You sponsored them on your podcast. I sold my gold. And I got $680. <laughs> so you sold your gold that you had, like bracelets or whatever. That's right. That's right. The Hobie Cat from Bobby Pfeiffer. Yeah. Gone. gone. Italian Horn from Reed James. Gone. The fuck out. Right. A little emerald heart from I got Miller. a wheel to buy. Gotta go. I got a. I, I got... need a game show more than I need jewelry. 
So I still that's going to be then, the name of this podcast because then, they feel like that's a, a know, good way to live. There's a clock, right? Right. Involved in the game. Yeah. The clock involves a game, a wheel, and a microphone. Right. The clock was eighty-eight dollars. You know what I sold for that? Your kidney? I sold. No, I only have the one. Oh, that's but right. Because yeah, I only have the one available. Right, right. You can't I mess sold around. My, I sold my breast pump. Wow. Yeah, the medulla pumping style. I sold that. That you used when you were nursing. When I was nursing, I said, "I'm so sorry, Alabama, but uh, Mama has no more milk because I gotta sell this wheel. I gotta sell this game. (laughs) I gotta get a clock. That's amazing. And you love your wheel and you love your clock. Yeah, and they both were well worth it. So if you need a promo wheel, head out to Riverside Promo Wheels. Speak with Randy." Is my connection. I love that there's a place called Riverside Promo Wheels. I know. It's very cool. But that, in a way, though... <laughs> was it, it fun has... to shop for? And like... No, it wasn't because uh, they're expensive, obviously. Yeah. But also, it has kind of prohibited me from traveling too much with this show because I can't go to Philadelphia and play sh- and play Story Smash because I can't take the wheel with me. Yeah. It's too heavy. So then I try to rent a promo wheel in the... Next city, city yeah. right, you know, like from a carnival company or whatever, yeah. and take my own topics, like my own band, you know, yeah. but it's kind of, I mean, it's, you know, it's a thing. so people have approached me about a digital wheel and I say, no, it's wrong. It's wrong. Because like I listen to the podcast, um, love it or leave it. And they do the rant wheel and it's a digital wheel and it's like, bleep, 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 bleep. to the listener, it's, a, no. but I always feel like it's rigged. I feel like the, you want an There's old school wheel. There's a very good chance it is. Yeah. Um, I love it. So what happens? The, so, how does the wheel okay, work? So there's, um, there's three rounds. Round one is a true one-minute story. Round two is a true two-minute story. And then two contestants move on to the third round and tell a true three-minute story. So the contestants, there's five, generally comedians. And the, the idea is that they get more stage time if they continue the The more the stories rounds. they tell. Yeah, exactly. So you might land on vacation. So, yeah. boom, tell me a one-minute story about vacation. Go. Yeah. Or you might land on pets or breakups or drunk yeah. tank. You also might land on audience, and then the audience goes ahead, and they shout out storytelling suggestions. Like, yeah. people shout out hospitals, virginity, you know, yeah. doctor's appointments. And then the expert judges, there's three expert judges, they would choose a topic, and then that becomes the story topic. So... After the story's over, they try to get to the closest to one minute or two minutes or three minutes without going over. If they go over, they hear glass smashing. It's called story smash. And we go right to the judges. So the idea is to get it in like 58 seconds or 59 seconds. No glass smashes. And we go to the judges. And so there's always three expert judges. And we try to get the most famous people we can. Right. And they talk about the story. And it's all in... Just, I should say, I mean, in a way, because, you know, people they're, people are looking for a beginning and a middle and an end. Yeah. So they're judging on the ability to stay on the topic, because sometimes people will land on pets and talk about their mom, and that's not... Yeah. Uh, and then they also judge on the time, and then they judge on the story itself. So yeah. it's, it, you know, of course, we're taking it all in jest, but there's a little bit of seriousness to it, yeah. and people like to people win. People want to do well. They what do they win? They Just bragging rights? They win my famous chocolate chip cookies, Oh, which I give them in a tub, and I also give everybody who plays 
little chocolate chip cookies in a baggie to take home as well. So uh, I, I love it. You got the cookies. I'm a lover. You got the wheel. You've got all my favorite stuff. Thank you. All right. Come you, next time, would you? I would love to come. September Are you kidding? 22nd. I'm into it. Please. I'll um, pump you. Yeah, and you. Okay. September, September 22nd, I have a wedding, but I'll come in October. Oh, that's right. But I'll keep an eye yeah, out. We about but that. people, if they want to come, they can learn about it where? StorySmashShow.com. Yeah. I built the website. It's super sassy and fun, and so check it out. Story Are you a Squarespace Smash person? A Weebly person? Squarespace. I'm a Squarespace. I have to build yeah. about 12 websites. Wow. That's awesome. All right. Here's some questions you picked from the observation deck. What does your family think about what you do for your job? They think that I am, um, you know, I have more ambition than anybody in the family, and they recognize that. Right. And I think that everybody, you know, kind of like encourages me and gives me support, and uh, I think that they wouldn't make the same choice I did, but for me, they know that it's it's right for me. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think so. I love it. I'm so lucky. Any scars or tattoos with stories? Well, I had this this scar across my stomach, you know, it's from the yeah. kidney being taken out. It's yeah. like an eight-inch... Eight inch, you know, horizontal scar where they just sliced me open. That was kind of a, a big scar which ended my bikini days, which were numbered anyway, I'll say, but you know, for I think a while it's kind of hot though, in a way, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't no, maybe not. I don't think so. All right. Who was your biggest celebrity crush when you were a teenager? I love Dan Fogelberg. Longer than. Yeah, that song I didn't actually particularly like, but him as a person, I. Just adored him, and I think it was because it was the dreaming factor. Like I was dreaming of getting out of Pittsburgh and moving to Colorado. It's very wistful. Very, yeah, very romantic. What's your favorite Fogelberg song? Oh my gosh, my mine is old lang, same old lang syne. Yeah, that's a great song. It's such a good story and everything. I know. Uh, you know, I don't know, man. There, he did a couple of songs that I always thought were very. very I don't good. really know what he looked like. I feel like glasses. No. No, 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 he had dark hair, shaggy beard, hair. yeah, shaggy hair, beard, mustache. He kind of mm-hmm. looked like Michael McDonald, but yeah. longer hair. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jewish, you know. And yeah. I didn't care. And, uh, you know. It's right in your sweet spot. It was right there. All right, Dan, if you're listening. What's he the... died. Oh, he like died? Like 10 years ago. I did not know Prostate that. Prostate cancer at 56. Fuck. So sad. Vogelberg is gone. Advanced prostate cancer. So, gentlemen out there, please, have you gotten your prostate yeah, checked? It's I a have. simple thing to do. I do. But if they catch it and it's late, done. Damn, I didn't know about Dan Fogelberg not being with us anymore. What's the worst thing that's ever gone wrong for you on stage? Uh, whoa, my gosh. Well, you know, just recently doing Surviving the Ride, my show. Yeah, yeah. In the first scene, the first story, there's pictures that are supposed to come up at certain times. Yeah. And that's not my worst time on stage, but he put up the last picture first. Yeah. So you saw... The, the reveal of you saw the reveal, and the whole audience went like, "Oh!" And I turn around like, "What the fuck?" Oh shoot! And it was okay. It's not a big deal. It's but not the end of the world. It made it a little bit harder to go on. Yeah. I mean, I, I made that story not as. What's well, like seeing the after before you see the before? That's what I'm saying. Right. It's, it's like it's watching a whole makeover show yeah. from the, the end. It's not as good. What's the most embarrassing CD or download you have in your collection? Probably something by Steels and Crofts, I would say. Summer yeah. Breeze. Something like that, yeah. Or Let's maybe something by a Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert Gottfried? Not, no, no, no. I was like, he had an album? <laughs> yeah, could you imagine his yeah. voice? No, Gilbert O'Sullivan. Oh, yeah. He had some ones, too. I don't know his songs as well. Alone Again, Naturally. naturally. Oh, oh, yeah. Steels and Crofts. And, and that's, yeah, so depressing when you Weren't think Weren't they about like, it. darling, if you want me to be? Weren't they closer, closer to, to you? you? Better not. Be closer to me. I love the 70s music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the last question you picked, have you ever stolen anything? I stole a hamster when I was 12 years old. What a weird thing to steal. And I got busted 
and I got in a lot of trouble, and I never stole again until I worked for the airlines. Then no, you, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you stole a hamster. Yeah, I thought it'd be so funny. Where to did put, you to put it in your pocket Wars, or something? I put it in my windbreaker, my members only yeah. jacket yeah. windbreaker. It was blue Damn right. with a yellow and white stripe down the arm, and um, I was with. Two friends, Joan Kelly and Kim Eddy. Oh, they always I, are up to no well, good. Joan Kelly owes me ten bucks. <laughs> and I said, wouldn't it be funny if we took this hamster and we take it to school and we put it in Nanine Hoygen's locker? Yes. And then she's going to open it and it's going to come out and it's going to be like, wow. Right. And I said, look out. And I'm taking it. And I picked it up with little chips and pee on the bottom of its yeah. feet. And I put it in my blue windbreaker. Walked out of Woolworths. Some lady comes running after us in a smock. Thief, thief, that girl's got a hamster in her pocket. Wow. I got in trouble, had to go up to where the snack bar was with the balloons over the counter that you could pop to find out how much it costs for a banana split. And then we got reamed out by the store manager and he called our parents and all that, of course. And he said, today it's hamsters and tomorrow it's cars. (laughs) And I remember... Rolling my eyes, and rolling my eyes, and saying, "I doubt that very much." <laughs> I doubt that very much. But he he really sees it as a gateway drug to yeah. uh, major larceny. Um, you know, once I, as I do the podcast, occasionally a quote will jump out, and I think, "Oh, that's the title." Yeah. You are so great with those that I've had many. Oh, good. But I'm leaning toward that girl's got a hamster in her pocket because mm, yeah. you know it implies I got a secret. I got a little something. Yeah. Something special. Yeah. Maybe it's a hamster in my pocket. I said, "Here, just take it. I'll pay for it, and you don't have, You can keep it." It was like three ninety nine. Wow. I know. That's not that much for a hamster, but... Well, not at that time, you know. But you never got to do your big prank on the girl. No. Yeah. No. All right. Yeah. Um, we're wrapping it up. How can people learn more about what you do? You know what? Head over to christineblackburn.com. Yeah. Or storywithypodcast.com. Yeah. Or storysmashshow.com. And I hope that people go see your show in Thank September. You. I won't yeah, be there. Do. I will be at a wedding. Yeah. But I would love to come in October and oh, check it out. it's super fun. Please come. Yeah, every... It's the last Saturday of the month, the improv. It's super fun. Hollywood improv. I love that you do that. Okay, final question. What's the dream? You've done all well, this cool stuff. Yeah. What What would make really, you really like, yeah. wow, this is it? That would be to have a show on Hulu or Netflix. Yeah. And it's a half-hour show, and it's story-worthy. And it's basically what I do now, but it's on screen. Yeah. And people come on, bring their favorite story, and then we yeah. talk about it afterward, pitch their stuff, and we're out. So kind of what we already do, but on uh, camera. I love it. And sold, you know. And sold. Yeah. Re- re- legit. Thanks, Dennis. Get some of that Hulu money flowing. All right. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah. We did the cross-pollination, the Brady Bunch go to, uh, you know, Fantasy Island or whatever it is, and it all worked out. So, you're a delight. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Christine Blackburn for doing my podcast and also for having me on her podcast. Um, Story Worthy is her podcast, and you can learn more about that at christineblackburn.com. And I think my episode is coming up later this month. Uh, here in September. And go see her show if you're in LA on the 22nd at the Improv. So this happened, as I think I told you, we reached our landmark um, first phase fundraising with You Don't Know My Life. That was thrilling. And then something else kind of random happened this week. Um, In the mid-2000s, I worked on this project with a producer named Brad Hurtado. It was for Rainbow HD, which at the time was a movie channel available on some cable system. It was kind of obscure, but it was high def. And they would show um, 
older movies, and it was catered to the GLBT community, so hence the rainbow. And they would do these movie intros and wraparounds and stuff, and I was one of the on-air talents that would introduce the, the movies and comment and stuff like that. And we did some of that, and it was fun. And then there was another performer in the mix named Hedda Lettuce, a legendary New York drag queen. And the producer, Brad, thought Hedda and I would be good together. So we did these segments where we're just riffing for like 10 minutes about different subjects. Once, one was getting over a broken heart. One was like doing, you know, being in drag um, and things like that. So anyway, I remember doing them. I went out to New York, and we were set up at this kind of pretty restaurant and we just sat across chairs from each other and talked and kind of riffed. And Brad reached out to me last week because he had had them digitize these interviews or these little segments. And he sent me a link and uh, a YouTube link. And you know, when something pops up from your past, you're always kind of like, Oh, I don't know. Am I going to be embarrassed? Am I going to think I look weird? Am I going to think I sound weird? Is it going to be one of those? What was I thinking moments? Uh, long story short, no, it wasn't. It was delightful. I watched that thing and I kind of couldn't believe how fun it was. I was really proud. Uh, we were funny together and we didn't script it. We just kind of, we knew what we were going to talk about. We had like a letter from a viewer that we would riff off of, but, um, I watched it and it was really like, wow, I, you know, there wasn't social media or anything online like that. That you, it wasn't easy to share things like that. But I look at this now and go, that was kind of awesome. And I wish more people had seen it. The point is, Hedda and I should have been um, Kelly and Michael or Kelly and Ryan or whoever it is. And we were robbed of that. And it hurts, but it's also sort of beautiful. So I'm going to share the link to that on the Dennis Anyone Facebook page. Because um, it was fun to look at. She's hilarious. We have fun together. I like the shirt that I'm wearing. I'm into it. It's all good. It was not a what was I thinking moment. So thank you, Brad Hurtado, for uh, reaching out and sending that. It was such an interesting blast from the past that made me question every decision since. Um, <laughs> that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Thank you again, Christine Blackburn. And join us next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.